Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Folks, we've had a powerful time of worship this morning, and we've made certain declarations in our time of worship which are, are good. They're, they're true, and they're wonderful declarations. We've been declaring the power of our God, the resurrection, and the victory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've been declaring that victory over our own lives, our position within that. We've been singing songs of worship and adoration. We've been saying that God is our miracle worker, our hope in times of trouble. And all of these things are very true. The experience of these things in life, however, as we journey through life, has its ups and downs. Wouldn't you agree with me? Sometimes we feel and we have a sense that, man, we can, we can slay any giant, and other, other days we just feel like we're the giant that all, everyone else is coming after. Some days we just feel up, and some days we just feel down. Over the past few weeks, Pastor Andreas has been sharing with us about pressing on towards the upward call. He used Paul as the example and spoke about his life, that he wasn't living a life that was just focused on ups and downs, that he lived life in such a way that no matter what the ups and downs were around him, that in every season he managed to be content. And the reason that he was able to be content and was able to be stable and steadfast in his faith is because he had a clear direction. He was pressing on towards the goal. What was the goal? The upward call of God the resurrection in Christ Jesus, the likeness of Christ Jesus. Last week, I also spoke to you about engaging with God. And we used the analogy of a car, about how it doesn't matter what the size of the engine is in your car, it doesn't matter how glorious it is. In fact, Mark, you weren't here last week. We spoke quite specifically about your car. I gave some great stats on your car. Um, maybe you can show us some things after the service. We don't know. Um, you, you may want to catch up on, on what I shared last week. But, Mark, the essence was this. It's not about how fast your car can go. It's about how fast you can go in your car. We don't want to know. The essence is this, that, that talk is cheap, and just like in cars, talk sometimes isn't cheap. Uh, you've got to pay a lot to get decent talk but it's about what you can do with it. It's about how you actually engage with God. It's not about what you say and how blessed you, you say you are and, oh, you go to church and we do the religious stuff. Where the rubber hits the road, are we able to engage with God like a car engages with its gears that that power can actually be transitioned into and through our lives and we begin to actually reap the results of these wonderful words that we've been singing. That's where it all becomes real. Faith without works is dead. We can say what we like, but James says, you know, you, you, show me your works without faith, and uh, you, you say, show me your works without faith, and I'll show you faith without works. It's impossible, because the two go together. And how we journey that out, and how we press that through. Engaging with God, as we spoke about last week, I want to say today, and just move on a little bit from there, engaging with God is not a once-off event. It's not something we do once, or once in a while, it's not something we do sort of once a week and hope that that'll kind of get us through. Engaging with God is a journey of learning to cooperate with His grace. 
It's a day in and a day out journey. It's a journey that we walk in through the ups and through the downs, through the good situations and through the bad, through the difficult interpersonal relationships that we have, through our struggles, whether it be financially, whether our struggles be, as I said, relationally, spiritually, wherever it is that we are, engaging with God is laying hold of Him, who He is, the person of Jesus Christ. As I said, not for a miracle today and then nothing the next. Not for an encounter today where I, I shiver, shake, and fall over and then you know, carry on with my life as per usual. But where the presence of God, the power of God, begins to make real and lasting change, first of all, within our hearts. And then that lasting change begins to work itself out in our situation. Engaging with God is a journey of becoming. I want you to write that down. It's a journey of becoming. It's not a journey to get to a destination. You could say, what's the destination? It's Christ-likeness. It's Jesus. But that's inexhaustible. It's not like one day we arrive and we go, ah, I'm here. Isn't the view lovely? It's a constant journey of becoming. It's a metamorphosis, one element at a time, one facet of life at a time. And journeys, some of them are long, some of them are short, but every journey has with it a measure of management and planning that has to go into it. Let me give you an example. Last year we went out, as you know, a few of us youngsters went out to Jeffreys Bay for the conference called The Sending. That conference, that whole trip, took a lot of stewardship. Are we going to go, yes or no? A lot of questions needed to be answered. Are we? Yes. Okay, who's going to go? How many of us are there? Uh, where are we going to stay? How are we going to get there? What do we need to get there? I mean, I had to get a PDP license to drive the guys through, just one little element. How are we going to do this? Do we have the resources to get there? How do we get the resources to get there? If we don't have the resources to get there, what will we eat? How much will we eat? Where will we stop for fuel? And the questions go on and on. You know on a journey how it goes. Where will we meet? So where will we start? Where will we sleep? Where will we end up? And all of these questions needed to be asked, and they were managed. And along the way, we had to manage our fuel. Along the way, we had to check, is everybody okay? No one's too car sick. Everyone's doing all right. We get to the other way, we're going to eat. Okay, is everybody... Special dietary requirements. Some people are a little fussier than others, you know? All these things along the journey that happen. But we got there. We had a wonderful time. We got back safely. And it's, a good, it's just a good analogy to, to understand that our spiritual growth in a similar way is a journey. It's not a destination. But it's something that we need to steward. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Stewarding your spiritual journey. If we put as much effort into stewarding our spiritual growth as we do into planning our vacations, we would have pretty tremendous results, don't you think? If we put as much effort into planning and being meticulous about our spiritual growth, our spiritual development, as we do about perhaps our finances or other areas of our lives, we would see markedly different results and better results. It, as I say to you, it's not a destination, it's a once-off thing. And we're going to start by looking at Abraham this morning. Abraham was not born the father of our faith. Did you know that? Abraham became the father of our faith because of a journey that he went on with God. This journey had ups and downs. It had ins and outs. 
Just like you and me, Abraham didn't just hear a word from God and then suddenly everything was okay and everything just sort of fell into place. Abraham had to journey and wrestle with what God was calling him into, just as you and I do. And I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 to 5. We're going to read them from the message. They're up on the screens if you don't have your Bibles with you or your devices, whatever it may be. But I want to spend a little bit of time looking at Abraham's journey and just draw a few little points out of that and then share another little story with you after that. Genesis 1, 12, verse 1 to 5. God told Abraham, Leave your country, your family, your father's home for a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, those who curse you. I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So, Abraham le so Abram left, just as God said, and Lot left with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot with him, along with all their possessions, all the people they had gotten in Haran, and set out for the land of Canaan and arrived safe and sound. So here we see sort of the beginning. Abraham has this encounter with God. God speaks to him. He receives the word. And what is the response? Immediate action. Immediate obedience. He didn't falter. He didn't waver. An incredible promise. It's almost too good to be true. And so Abraham gets up. He picks up his whole family. Now we need to understand this was a logistical operation. Abraham was a wealthy man. He had lots of livestock. The people they're talking about here is all his servants and move out into the land. And we see Abram go. But a few chapters later, or the very next chapter in Genesis, we see God talking to Abram again. And this time the response is a little bit different. Let's get there. Genesis 18, I'm going to read verses 10 to 15 from the message. Abram is being visited by angels here, and he's welcomed them into their tent, and they're having uh, fellowship, and he's... he's, he's Brought, cooked a meal for them, and they're having fellowship and enjoying it together. And one of them said, verse 10, I'm coming back about this time next year. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong part first. Let's go to 17, verse 15. I apologize. Genesis 17, 15. God says to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, or Sarai at that stage, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Why? Because I will bless her and also give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Another incredible, wonderful, powerful word from God. And then the Bible says, Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> I don't know about you, I'm pretty amused by that portion of Scripture. We, I think they made a typo, though. It should be worshipped. Abram fell on his face and he worshipped. I mean, right, that's what we think of Abraham, this man who didn't struggle with his faith. He had it all together. God speaks a wonderful word. He says, you're going to be a father. And what does Abram do? He laughs. So, this is pretty crazy stuff. And said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Now he's, he's thinking about his physical abilities here. And he's realizing that, you know, the, some things aren't working like they used to maybe 30 years ago or 20 years ago when we were first talking about these things. 
And he says, and, and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? These days, ladies are like, no, nah, I'm approaching 40. That's, no, it's, it's too late then. You know, 40 is kind of the mark. After 40, it starts getting touch and go. It's not a good idea. So Abraham, who had this incredible faith, gets up and leaves his town. He comes down. Now he's, he's living in the promise to a measure, and God speaks to him again, and now he's laughing. You may think Sarah was, in it, was different. Let's go to verse, chapter 18, verse 10. Now these two angels are visiting with them, and they're having the conversation. Sarah's in the kitchen, and he says, I'm coming back about this time next year. When I arrive, your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the tent opening just behind the man. Abraham and Sarah were old by this time, very old, it says. Sarah was past the age for having babies. Sarah laughed within herself. We see the same response here. An old woman like me get pregnant with this old man of a husband? Again, inference on Abraham's, Abraham's, Abraham's inability. I mean, you've got a picture, Sarah's here. I mean, we can't deride her too much for laughing. You can kind of imagine she's listening to this conversation, and she's now getting this mental picture of this long-bearded man walking into the tent after these guys have come up, taking out the record player, <laughs> opening it up, dusting off the Marvin Gaye, putting it on, pushing out the needle. Bong, 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 bong! <laughs> Sarah's laughing, right? Now, the picture doesn't have to just be about Abraham. I think, men, if we're honest, if any of us try to do that with our wives, we'd have the same response. They'd laugh at us, wouldn't they? So God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, me, have a baby, an old woman like me? And he asks the question, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? I'll be back about this time next year, and Sarah will have a baby. Now, Sarah lied. She said, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. But he said, yes, you did. You laughed. You laughed. So we have the situation where the father of our faith is now being presented with this promise that God gives, that you're going to have a baby. And here's why they were wrestling with it. God originally gave the promise. And then nothing was really happening for a while. So Sarah says to Abraham, Listen, maybe we should take matters into our own hands here. Take my servant. She can bear you a child. And that's where Ishmael came from. And then afterwards, God comes again and says, No, look, I'm going to bless you. And they say, But, you know, how is this possible? How is it, could it possibly be? And they laughed in the situation. I don't know what God's been saying to you. I don't know when you read the Bible and sometimes you read things there and perhaps it just seems too good to be true. Perhaps you read what the Word of God says and you say, but you don't know my husband, Lord. You don't know my wife, Father God. You don't know my situation, Lord God. It's impossible. It's an impossible situation. The situation is dead. I feel impotent and dead in the situation just like Abraham did. But here's the point that I want to make. You, you'll be surprised to know that today's message is not about faith per se, but it's about the journey and the grappling that every one of us has with the times we're in, with the seasons we're in, with the things God says to us and the things that God expects of us. When God confronted Abram and when God confronted Sarah, three things happened. Number one, they engaged with God honestly. 
Well, Sarah, not in the beginning. I didn't laugh. No, you did laugh. Sarah, you did laugh. And there's moments in time, if we're going to engage with God honestly, where He will begin to redirect us, to take what to us seems impossible, seems perhaps ridiculous, perhaps funny, perhaps just a little too far out there, without any real kind of living hope. And if we begin to engage with God honestly, not saying, yes, Lord, praise God, everything's going to be okay, my God shall provide, and without any real traction, but I'm talking about real, honest, heart-to-heart, where you say, God, I'm laughing at this because this just seems funny. This just seems strange. How could this possibly be? But as God asks the question, is anything too hard for me? I believe that that really challenged them. I believe that really challenged Abraham. Now think of your situations. Think of your struggle. Think of what it is that you may be going through right now. Think of your journey. Is there anything in the midst of where you're at that is too hard for God? We say no. We say no. But here's the catch. We realize that if we say no, I am going to have to change some things about me. That's called stewarding your spiritual development. It's very easy to say nothing is too hard for God and to sit back and wait for Him to do something. The reality is that the way God works is He first of all does something within my attitude, my heart, my perception before anything begins to change on the outside. So if I'm going to engage with God honestly, I have to do so from a place of vulnerability, willing to lay down my thoughts, my will, what I want. That is going to lead God to be able to break my heart, to mold my expectations, to change my emphasis and my trajectory and lead me in His ways. Little by little, Abram and Sarah entered into their promise. It took a number of years. There were many years between the promise and the conception of Isaac. And then we know later on, Isaac is born, the son of promise, And when Isaac's probably about, I think it was around 23, in his 20s, God says to him, I want you to take Isaac up onto the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him for me. Real challenge of his faith. But again, here we see Abram going. And by this stage, after all these years, these 30, 40 years that he's journeyed this journey of faith with God, he takes the step of obedience, he takes his son up there, and there's some... there's some words where he says, you know, his faith was to the point where he knew that if, if God was telling him to sacrifice Isaac, that God was powerful enough to raise him up because he had such confidence by that stage in his promise to him that he would be the father of many nations. And as Abraham, Abraham proved faithful in that situation, so that ushered in the fulfillment of the promise. Many of us want the promises to just come without that grappling of being willing to lay down what we even think the promise may be. I thought this was it, God. I thought I was finally coming into and it's not. Lay it down. I thought this was the blessing, God. Yeah, it was. But I want you to lay it down. And this is the journey that each of us face time and time again as we go with God. As we look back on it from this side, Hebrews 11 gives us a beautiful view into this journey that Abraham and Sarah had. Hebrews 11, chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 12. It says, By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, I mean, they keep pointing this out, poor old guy, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. So look, look at what this verse says about Abraham and Sarah. Sarah received the strength that she needed to conceive, to do the impossible. She received, was able to engage with that and transfer that into actual, a physical outworking and expression because she judged him faithful who had promised. We've gone from laughing, but when Scripture looks back on her, she judged him faithful. She went from a moment of doubt, of perhaps humor, of disbelief and unbelief, to sincere engaging with God to the point where she judged him faithful. To the point where she said, all right, I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to trust in you. Do as you will, as you say. I will, I will do. Here I am. Let, 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 let it be so. You see, this journey of faith took many years for Abraham and, I, and, and, and Sarah, for them to conceive, for the whole thing to be worked out, as I've said. And along the way, there were ups and downs, just like you and I experienced. This is what I'm wanting to point out to you. But the key is that along the way, as we engage with God, as we're honest with ourselves, as we're honest with God, and we humble ourselves to Him and open our hearts to Him, He is able to take our unbelief, our laughing at what seems to be impossible, and bring us to the place where we can judge Him faithful because of who He is and receive the grace and the strength that we need for any given situation. This is a personal journey. This is not a destination. And I don't know what it is that where you are at. I don't know what you are holding on to or what it is that you're pursuing. You know, as we come into New Year's, we, we have these ideas of what we think things are going to be like in, you know, in this next calendar year. For, if, you know, checking on social media and the things that are doing the rounds, 2019 was a pretty rough year for most people that I know. A lot of people had a really good year, good year but uh, even more people, it seems, had a rough 2019. And they were just so happy to see the clock secondhand do that into 2020, because obviously that means it's a new year and everything changes, right? You know, this way it's late, is wiped clean, everything, you know, changes. And we're filled with fresh hope. Why? Because the second hand does this. Come on, folks. The second hand doesn't change anything. But as we engage with God, yes, things can change. Things can end up different to the way we expected them to. The past few months, I've been on a journey of my own, and I've been toying whether or not I should share this, but I have decided to share it with you anyway. I think, I think sometimes the most helpful thing I can do is share my journey, is share my struggles. Um, just because I carry some title does not mean that I don't have them. 
just because I'm supposed to be a pastor doesn't mean that I too don't have my doubts and confusions and things along the way. So I want to share with you, this is the other story I was telling you about, some of the things that have taken place in my heart and my journey over the past few months. So many of you know last, last year, I've been, I've, I've, I've been pastoring within the fellowship for many, many years. Last year, as we know, 1st of September, something happened which was significant in the life of our fellowship. Officially, the mantle or the leadership of the fellowship was handed over from Pastor Andreas to myself. And that came with it all kinds of expectations in my heart, things that had been rolling around in my heart and mind for years. You know, coming up, I'd been doing a lot of homework and research about leadership, church leadership, ways of structuring things, ways of thinking about things, really doing homework and, and putting my heart and soul into things. A lot of prophetic words were given, building a safe house and all these kinds of things. And so last year, Stephen and I spent quite a lot of time, you know, we looking into Bible schools and that sort of thing. We were thinking this year we're going to launch a kingdom leadership school, and we'd gone and spoke to some guys who were running it, and we were pretty convinced that this was the way to go. And really, in my heart, there was this revving up. I, it was time to go, time to do, time to invest, time to pour out, time to gather together, time to get people uh, encouraged and engaged and motivated and into things. And along the way, Pastor Andreas had a dream, and he came to me and said, Michael, I had a dream, and I just sensed the Lord saying to you, be patient. And that was probably about August, August, September last, no, it was probably about uh, October last year. And I said, okay, be patient. Thank you. I'll think about that. I'll pray about that. You know, Lord, what do you mean by that? And anyway, we carried on with our plans, and I carried on wanting to do this and all that, and all the rest. Had these wonderful ideas. And then in December, Pastor Andreas came to me again, and he said, Michael, that dream has come back to me. And this is what I sense God is saying, and I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but the essence and the thrust of it was be patient. So now I really have to sit up and take notice. Okay, now it's, 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 it's crunch time. I need to make a decision here. Are we going ahead with certain plans that I had in place? Are we not going ahead? Which direction are we going? Because it affects various other things, the Bible studies, the midweek meetings. It affects people. It has budgets and all these kinds of things involved in it. Which way, Lord? And here's the dilemma. I sat with Pastor Andreas as we had this conversation, and I said to him, Dad, I hear what you're saying to me, and I'm going to take it seriously, and I'm going to pray about it because it's coming from you. I know the strength of your prophetic gift. I know you've led and guided, me, guided all of us all of these years. But I must tell you the truth that everything you are saying is the exact opposite of what I'm feeling inside. Not just what I'm feeling, what I believe God is leading me to do, what I sense the Lord is saying, you know? Not just, rah, rah, I now want to make a name. The, the, the responsibility of shepherding the flock, of investing in people's lives to see them grow up, is one that weighs heavy on my heart. Lord, how do I fulfill that? How do we build a safe house? How do we equip and raise up leaders? How do we empower people to go out into the marketplace, wherever it is that they are, to be kingdom ambassadors wherever they are. And that's kind of the weight of responsibility is what was really pushing me through. So long story short, during the holidays, my poor wife had a few days where she had to look after the kids alone. I came to the church here just to pray, just to be alone, trying to make sense of this because God, I'm torn now. And Pastor Andreas said to me, Michael, whatever you decide, I'm backing you. You know, it's not like you can make a wrong decision. Whichever way you choose to go, I'm going with you. I'm going to give you my backing. You've got my full support. 
So I'm now sitting before God going, right, Lord, this is what I sense, but I can't ignore this. What do I do? You ever been in that kind of situation? Just don't know. And I was at a loss, and I must, I'll be honest with you, very frustrated, highly frustrated, just because, you know, can there not just be some kind of clarity? I thought I had this. I was pretty clear in my mind. Everything was in place in my heart and mind. This is a serious spanner in the works now. On the third day, as I was praying here in the fellowship, something broke inside me. And I, I use those words quite deliberately. It's not like I had some kind of breakthrough in the spirit. You know, sometimes you have that sense there's a breakthrough and there's a liberty and there's a freedom. This was a breaking. This was painful. This was much sobbing. You know what they say? Ugly cry. There was a lot of that. I'm glad I was alone. It was ugly cry, right? What do they call it? Yeah. It's not just like crying. <laughs> breaking. Rending of the heart. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't quite understand what the heck was going on. I was just overcome with very deep emotion. After that, God led me to the book of Esther and began talking to me out of the book of Esther. Now, this is not the first time that God has lined me up with a woman to, you know, share things with me. I was open to the idea, compared me to a woman. But anyway, so, so here's the story, and here's what I want to share with you that God shared with me. And we'll get to why I'm sharing this all in a few minutes. I'm reading the book of Esther, and it's a story about a, a, a Jewish girl who gets chosen as one of many potential suitors for the king. And she goes through a 12-month period, a year of preparation to be presented before the king. And long story short, the king favors her, and he chooses her as her queen. Now, during this entire year of preparation, Mordecai, her uncle, cousin, depending how you read the scriptures, was there with her. Every day he used to come to the king's court to check on her. How is Esther doing? Is she okay? You see, her uncle raised her. Her parents weren't around. He raised her. He looked after her. He spoke into her life and gave her vision and direction. So she comes now, and she's now been chosen as the queen. And even after she's been chosen as the queen, regularly Mordecai, her uncle, comes into the courts and asks after her. He doesn't have direct access, but he asks the carers, how's Esther? Is she well? Is she doing well? And all these kinds of things. During this time, Mordecai cautioned Esther. He said, Esther, don't tell them what people group you are from. Don't let them know you're Jewish. Just carry on, but don't let them know you're Jewish. And I want to read to you just a few scriptures. You don't have to turn there. This is a story that I'm sharing. I'm sharing my, my little journey in this. But reading through Esther, came to verse 10 of, of chapter 2. It says, And Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. She did it. Why? Why did she not reveal her, her, that she was Jewish? It's not a trick question. Because Mordecai suggested she doesn't. So later on in the, in the book, Mordecai discovers a plot. And he says, the scripture says in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, it says, When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. And as I read those words, I understood what God was trying to say to me. As when 
Michael, you were brought up by Andreas. I want you to heed what he's saying to you now. I understood then what the breaking was. It was every plan that I'd made, all the things that I wanted to accomplish, all the things that I thought were the right thing for this time and season, to put them on the altar and say, yes, Lord. As when Esther was under with being raised by Mordecai, so she obeyed Mordecai. Here's the incredible thing that happened the relationship, the, the authority and the titles within their relationship changed. Esther was now queen. She held all the authority, but yet the relationship of honor and respect between the two of them never changed. You know the journey of sonship I've walked out with, Andreas. I want to share with you. This journey continues, and no matter how long you journey in a relationship of spiritual sonship with somebody, you still grapple along the way. No force or, or, or inert, you know, pressure was placed in this relationship at all. But I went to God honestly, and God gave me a beautiful word here. You know, and then other things popped up later on, you know. Uh, Mordecai finds out that, that this guy called Haman has, rised, has risen up. He wants to kill all the Jews. So he says to Esther, you've got to go to the king and tell him, you know, what's going on. You've got to expose this whole thing. And Esther says, look, if I go before the king and uninvited and he doesn't, put out a scepter to welcome me, that's me, I'm dead. They will kill me for that. To which Mordecai responds, well, who knows if you've been called for a time such as this. You know, we think that's a very spiritual thing. I, who knows if you're called for a time such as... This was this chick's life, people. <laughs> and Mordecai was like, who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Give it a go, you never know. But yet, even in a have a go, you never know. She follows his advice. Long story short, eventually Haman is killed. All of his estate is entrusted and handed over to Esther. And what's the first thing Esther does? She appoints Mordecai over the situation. Later on, they issue decrees, Mordecai and Esther together. Um, the king finds out, by the way, that Mordecai unveiled this whole plan. He promotes Mordecai, gives him a signet ring's authority. We see later on in the book, together, Mordecai with his authority and the queen with her authority together sign documents for the Jewish people to go out and take vengeance on those who it is that was going to kill them. Twice they do that. And it basically says for the Jewish people there was blessing. God blessed them through this incredible relationship and the way it was all set up. That's been my journey over the past, let's say, six months. A journey from great excitement and great conviction um, and great certainty to be challenged from left field out of the blue and to have everything put aside and have Pastor Andrea say to me, Michael, there's two things I want you to focus on this year. Shepherding the flock. Know your sheep. Shepherd the flock. And write those books that I've been talking to you about writing. Stop wasting time. Now get on with it. I want you to focus on writing books. All this other stuff's going to... That book, I want it done. Okay. Put that aside. My season for the next... For this year, this calendar year, until that second hand goes, tick, next year. Then we'll see, folks. Then we'll see. Then, I'm, <laughs> then we'll see. My walk is decided for this year so far. What I need to focus on so far has been decided for me. And I'm going to do that with all my heart and with all my faith. But I want to share with you, it came at a cost of other things that I was really invested in. My heart was invested in. You may say, 
What does this all have to do with the message you're preaching, Michael? It's to share this with you. Engage with God concerning everything you're uncertain about. Go and talk to Him about your fears. Go and talk to Him about the areas you want to see growth and all the ideas that you feel you may have. You have to engage with Him openly face to face. Each of you are on your own faith journey. And you need to steward that journey wisely. Don't just wait for God to enter into the situation by some miraculous means. Don't just wait for a Sunday morning for somebody to lay hands on you and pray. doesn't matter where you are at. God has words to speak into your life concerning your situation. That will, in some cases like mine, break you so that God can make you and lead you in a different direction from where you think it wants to go. You want to go. Sometimes we've got to, in fact, just about all the time, we have to break. We have to break. I find whenever I... I sense myself resisting. Whenever I, well, let me rather put it this way. I find whenever I sense myself feeling the need to assert my way, I know there's pride in it. I don't always know where the pride is because pride hides itself in the way we think, not just in the thoughts we think. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't see my pride in this other one. But whenever you call to lay something down, what is God challenging? Your pride. Your desire, your will, your way. And he calls us to lay that down. Each of you are on your own journey to either run your life the way you want to run it, that's pride, or to say, God, here is my life. What is it that you want me to do? That kind of heart attitude fixes broken marriages. That kind of heart attitude leads to personal breakthroughs and victories from all manner of things which hold us, which hold us captive, the frustrations which assail our hearts and minds, the fears and the doubts that we have. Just like a journey, do you know where you are? Do you know, do you have an accurate idea of your spiritual location? I don't just mean positionally with God. I mean intimately. Is your relationship with God where you really want it to be? Do you know where you're going with God? Do you know what God has been saying to you over this past season? Maybe God's saying things to you and you're still in Sarah's, Sarah's you know, place where you're laughing at it or you're not sure you can believe it or you don't quite know. Or maybe you've actually engaged with God to move past that. But I want to encourage you this morning. That's what I'm sharing and that's what I want to leave with you today. Every one of us is on our own journey of faith. And if we steward it wisely, it will produce tremendous results. Now, that word that I got that has kind of laid a path out for me for this year, that's great. But if, that's, if, that, if, if I'm now happy and I sit back and I go, okay, that's, that's all that it is then, and I never press into God, guess what? What am I going to get out of this year? A lot more frustration, no more clarity, and let me tell you this, no spiritual growth. My faith is not going to grow. My Christ-likeness is not going to grow. All these parts that are journeys require constant stewardship. To steward something means to manage it, to have control over it, to make sure it's doing what it's supposed to do, right? What about your spiritual walk? What are you doing to steward your spiritual growth? What steps have you put into place? What habits have you put into place to steward your spiritual growth and make sure that you are developing, that you are working through your stuff, that you are communing with God and engaging with Him? every single day, to work through these things, to have Him speak into your life. 
coming out of that experience, you're filled with such peace. Not easiness, but peace, because you know you've heard from God. And when you've heard from God, there is a grace and a boldness that comes upon you that is like no other, because you know. Boldness is knowing that you have heard the voice of God and discerned His words correctly. That's the place God wants every one of us to live. Amen? Let's stand together. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.